Thanks, guys. Hey, turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Colossians chapter 2. going to continue in the series of messages I've been bringing from Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you're new to the Bible, a lot of you are. It's just about a quarter of an inch from the back, all right? Maybe three sixteenths even. It's not far. So uh, start at the back and work your way to the front if you're looking for it. There's also a really cool device in the front called the Table of Contents that you're free to use. Before I get rolling too hard on that, I just want to take a minute to thank you guys. I, uh, I was overwhelmed in both, both services now when the offering was being taken. Just with your, your faithfulness in that. We don't have to be one of those churches that screams about money. I love that. I love your faithfulness in, in, in your giving. Thank you. I mean, some of you... Some of you have jobs you love and you make a lot of money. Some of you have jobs you love and you don't make very much money. Some of you have jobs you don't love and you make a lot of money. And some of you have jobs you don't love and you don't make much money. You're in one of those four categories, I promise you. And I just want to just take a minute to Thank you and let you know that I recognize the sacrifice that you're making and being obedient to the Lord's stirring in your life to be generous and in supporting the ministry of this church. So, thanks. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to continue. And the next passage that I want to look at is starts in verse 13. I just want to read a few verses. There's just so much in here. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, remember that? When you were dead, you remember? You thought you were sick. You were dead. You thought things were just going wrong. You were dead. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive. (laughs) That's a pretty big change. God made you alive. We didn't make ourselves alive. God made you alive. God made you alive with Christ. Listen to what he did. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Lord, we come as your people today and... We want to know what this, what the point of this is, Lord. We don't want to just have church. Even if it's good church, we don't want to just have church. We want to be with you. We want to hear from you. We want that whatever words I feel like you've given me to say to even be translated further into the life of every person so that it could land on some real place in their lives, Father. And only you can do that, Lord. So I just stop and, and submit my plan to you, Lord. If these words that I've prepared turns out they were from you and you can use them, then I, I invite you to do that. And, and if it turns out they weren't, aren't, then just interrupt and come and say what you really want to say. Because this is just one shot I feel like I have with some of these people and I just... I just want to make it their chance with you, not with me, Lord. And so 
I just invite you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think you'll probably already know that there are always two sides to the ball or the puck, right? The offensive side and the defensive side. Is that news to anybody? Oh, that changes everything, right? In all the sports, you know, there's offense and there's defense. And in some sports, you know, like basketball and hockey, it switches from offense to defense without any big notice, right? You just change possession and off you go. Suddenly you were playing offense, now you're playing defense and back again. Sports like baseball and for the most part, football, unless there's a fumble or an interception, there's kind of an announcement that we're switching here, right? There's kind of a break in the action, okay. So now the offense people are coming off, the defense, and off you go. In the fall of 1971, I was a junior at Clare High School in Clare, Michigan. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Uh, small school, small town, small school, small football program. So I decided I was going to go out for football. Now, you got to know something about me. wasn't raised in an athletic home, although I loved to play. I was always playing in the street and in the, in the yards and parks and always playing something, but I had never played a team sport. I had never been on a team. I didn't play a little league, I, and, you know, it wasn't all that's available these days. You about can't, get, you can't escape childhood without sports now. But it wasn't so then. And So my junior year of high school, I thought, I'm going to go out for the football team. Some of my friends were on the team, and they were saying, yeah, why don't you come out, man? All right. So because it's a small school and a small program, pretty much anybody who came out <laughs> made the team, right? <laughs> I mean, there wasn't a huge, huge competition. So I went out, yeah, made the team, yes. Show up Monday morning for your first two days. I learned how to puke in all new directions for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but man, I gave myself to everything. Now you've got to understand something. I wasn't just joining the football team for the first time. I was being introduced to football for the first time. I mean, we didn't watch it at home or parents weren't in it. We lived in California, literally almost in the shadow of the Rose Bowl, and couldn't have told you who was playing on January 1st to save ourselves. It just wasn't part of our culture, our family culture. Besides, we were too busy sobering up on January 1st in our house. And so, you know, I'm going out, and it's, it's not just that I'm, uh, this is how a team works, but this is, this is how, this is what football is. And so, they give me this book, this playbook that has like, you know, 50 or 60 plays in its slot, right? 125 and stuff like this. And they got all these X's and O's on it and these little squiggly lines and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to remember this stuff. I don't know. I wouldn't know what, to, which guy am I? And so but the coaches are like, ah, oh, Jace. And uh, they said, well, Tom, you're probably not going to be playing any offense. But they noticed something about me. And they noticed that I loved to run into people. I loved that. I loved that. I loved running into people. I loved being in a situation where they said, go knock that guy down. Okay. I loved that. And so they said, you know, chances of you playing offense are pretty slim. Plus, I couldn't catch anything, you know. So, I mean, I'm, so I'm six foot four. I'm, in a junior high school, I was this height, but a little slimmer. I weighed 160 pounds. Yeah, I know. 
I know. So they said, well, we're going to try on defensive end. All you got to do is keep everybody inside. Turns out not only can I not catch, I can't run. <laughs> I'm not fast enough. <laughs> These guys are blowing by me like I'm not even there. They said, all right, well, we can see you got a lot of enthusiasm for this. So we're going we're gonna to do something. We're going to make you a second string defensive tackle. A beanpole tackle. Now, you've got to remember the whole context of the team and the teams you play in that part of the world. And so I said, all right, you'll be right behind Randy Burns. You'll be second string behind Randy Burns. Now, that was really good because Randy Burns messed up a lot. And he was a good athlete, but he screwed up a lot. And so I just found myself that in the games, if I would just sort of just dog Coach Smith and just be standing, at some point, Randy would screw up sufficiently where he'd go, Burns, pocket, go! Yes, I'm ready! So I had a lot of fun that year. And, and this is the program. Randy Burns screwed up so much, I played one year. It was my first year, and I, varsity, I got enough time to varsity letter in one year. So that's how, bad, that's how much he screwed up. But a little like that, I can't remember his name, but the character in Napoleon Dynamite who's always thinking about his football career in high school, remember? What's his name? Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico, yeah, yeah. Oh, if I'd have just made states or whatever, you know. <laughs> I, ha- I have one memory like that. I have one. It was my greatest play in my whole football career. And I'll never forget it. And every now and then it goes through my mind. You guys who play, you, you know what I'm talking about. You probably have several, but I have one. All right? And I was in, and it was homecoming, and we were playing Reed City, and we were sufficiently far enough ahead. Burns hadn't screwed up, but he said, okay, pocket, go on in. All right, so I'm in. We do this little slant thing, and he calls it blitz. The coach calls it blitz, which in this configuration called my number to go in. And I thought, yes, here we are. And I'm down. Cut! And then my whole memory just goes into slow-mo from there, right there, right? <laughs> and the quarterback from Reed City goes back, and I just leveled the guy. I, I, I forget if it was a tackle or a guard, but I just, I, just, I just took the forearm, and he went down. I thought, shoot, I'm in the backfield by myself. I'm like five steps away from this quarterback. I'm on his blind side, and he's going back like this. And I'm thinking, already my body is most moving in his direction before I'm thinking about it. And, and just, I, I'm thinking, I'm just going to cream this guy, man. This is my day. My, my thoughts got a little ahead of me. He's going to fumble it. I'm going to pick it up and run into the end zone. It's all, you know. But I'm just running toward this guy, and at the last second, he picks me up in his peripheral vision. And I know that because he prayed. He went, Jesus. But it, <laughs> I figured he's praying, man. He saw, I was, but I was afraid. The bull was already out, man, and I got over him and wrapped him up and put him on the ground, man. I creamed him. 
He was down. That's my big claim to fame. One sack in a very small high school football program. That's the end of it. That's the end of my world. There ain't any more. I got one sack. My varsity C letter. Defense is fun. I mean, when you're getting permission just to go and hurt somebody, just get somebody. Just get somebody, Pocket. Get somebody, okay? Get somebody. Okay. But you know, even great defenses cannot consistently win games. They can help, for sure. But they cannot make championship games. You've got to have an appropriate offense to go with that. You've got to have a group of players who can take that ball and beat the other defense and get it down the field. I'm in a place right now with our church where I'm tired of playing defense. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of playing defense. I'm tired of some of the things that are happening to you. I'm tired of it. And I want to switch over to the other side of the ball. We had our fourth funeral in four weeks yesterday. I'm tired of death. I'm tired of season of death. I'm tired of hearing about somebody's new cancer report. I'm tired of hearing about a couple that's going to split up. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of playing defense. And we need to switch over. We need to switch over and play some offense and push the enemy back. That's what this passage is about in Colossians. It talks about both sides of the cross, that there are two sides of the cross. So far in this series from Colossians, you've seen that, uh, first of all, that Jesus is God. It's important to get the power of Colossians. It's important for you to understand this, that Jesus is God. Jesus isn't like sort of God. Jesus isn't a super prophet. Jesus is God. Jesus. And just by faith saying the name Jesus changes things. It really does. I don't mean religiously. I just mean by faith speaking the name Jesus over the situations of your life changes things. Remember a few weeks ago when we went through this passage about the supremacy of Christ and you said Jesus? Say Jesus. Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth. Things visible and things invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross, shed on the cross, shed on the cross, shed on the cross. That's the name Jesus. And Jesus is God. And there's power in the name of Jesus. It's not magic, it's not religious. But it's the release of authentic power in the kingdom realm. 
And we're living in the kingdom realm, whether we realize it or not, we're living in the kingdom realm. There's spiritual stuff going on around us all the time. So it's about, it's about that Jesus is God. It's also, Colossians is that our whole relationship with God is built on his grace. We cannot save ourselves. And there's nothing we can do once saved to add to our salvation. Of course, I want to walk out in faithful discipleship. I want to follow Jesus as my Lord. I want to do all that. But that doesn't add anything to my salvation. I'm saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. So that when I come to God, even my faith isn't adding anything. It's just saying, yes, I want in. And by trusting in what Jesus did for us on the cross, then the grace of God is extended to me, and I'm saved. And I'm saved by his grace. So I'm saved on my good days, and I'm saved on my bad days. I'm still saved. Because it's God who saves us. God did this. We cannot add to our salvation. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane? Anybody? Let me ask you this. When you were buckled in and you're heading down the runway starting to pick up some speed, any of you ever tempted to go, come on, guys, we got to get this thing off the ground. Come on. (laughs) Why not? Because you can't help in that situation, can you? There's nothing that you can do at that point. You are simply strapped into the seat And you're at the mercy of this thing that is going to catapult you through the air at 400 miles an hour. Flapping doesn't help. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Flapping doesn't help. And last week we looked at that model of a complete Christian. That passage that just talked to us about the... Various aspects of what it means to be a complete Christian. Well, today in this passage, I want to show you that Paul tells us an incredible story about the cross in that passage that I read for you. And he talks about this before and after picture, that you were dead, and now you're alive. And you used to have a sinful nature, but now you have a sinful nature that's redeemed by God, and so all your desires are changing. I mean, isn't that true? It's like the things you used to want, you don't want, And the things you used to didn't want, you want. And it's not that you don't still struggle with your sinful nature, because that's what Paul said. He said, I still got this old man that keeps trying to come back. But as I depend on Christ, as I lead into the power of the Holy Spirit, I discover that God did something in me, that there's an access to power available there that I can live a different life. I do not have to be the victim of the devil's plan for me. And he talks about then what Jesus did on the cross. What did Jesus do on the cross? Well, if you go through that verse, verses, that passage, 13 through 15, first of all, he says, he forgave us all our sins. He forgave us. In the cross, we find forgiveness. You, like me, have sinned. We've all sinned. And we have a record against us. We were born with a sinful nature. Didn't take that long to demonstrate it, did it? Some of us work real hard at demonstrating it. And we know that when we came to God and we said, I want to I I satisfy this hunger I have for eternity and for God, we understood that there was a broken relationship and something had to be done. Well, Jesus is the one who did that for us. He died on the cross to provide forgiveness for our sins, is what the Bible says. It also says that he released us. I like this. 
Um, it says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code. The written code canceled it with its regulation, regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away. He took away the written code so that we can no longer be condemned by the law. You know, all the Old Testament stuff, all that stuff, it says he took that away. He released us from that. Now, is it still a wonderful plan to live by the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. And I think as you walk in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit, you will find yourself naturally wanting to live that very life. But you're no longer bound to it in the way that they would have been, that you would have been before Christ. He took it away. He took away He released you from that. So it doesn't nag you in condemnation all the time. Man, you stink at this. Man, you stink at this. You say, I know. (laughs) And if you read on, it says that he secured us. I love this. It says, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And he nailed that to the cross. He left something on the cross, and that's your release papers. You see, Jesus is not on the cross now. That's bad theology. That's bad thinking. Jesus is not on the cross. The Bible says he died once and for all. It was an historic sacrifice, and he was laid in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and eventually he ascended to the Father, where right now, the Bible says, he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for Harry's sins. That's what the Bible says. Jesus is not on the cross. But when he left the cross, he left his blood, which the book of Hebrews says continually speaks a better word for us. So the blood continued to cry out, cries out for us. And it also says that he nailed this thing to the cross. He nailed your release papers, Rob, to the cross. They're there. So on your good days, it's still there. So any, any entity that goes and looks at the cross and says, well, what about Rob, man? Look at that guy. Yeah, his release papers are right there. Jesus did that for you. And so he released you. He secured that. So you're saved on your good days, D, and you're saved on your bad days because your papers are still there. Nailed it to the cross. But then there's another side of the cross according to this passage. If you keep reading, it says, um, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. He disarmed Satan and his minions. He took away their big power. Now, does Satan still have power? Yes. And the Bible says for a time he will. Do demons still have power? Yes. And the Bible says for a time they will. But they do not have the big weapon anymore. They can no longer condemn you. They can, no lo- they can accuse you. The Bible says that Satan is an, the accuser of the brethren. He can accuse you, but he can't condemn you. So he's been disarmed in that way. He can't tell God about something about you that God doesn't know, and God says, but I already love him. So he can't condemn you. And so he disarmed him this way. And in giving you the power of Christ, and eventually the, the move of the Holy Spirit, you have power, you have greater power than the disarmed Satan and his minions. Does that make sense? So they were disarmed. If you read on, it says he made a spectacle of them. I like that. I mean, he just didn't do it. He spit on their grave. He came to their funeral in a red dress. He made a spectacle of them. Jesus Jesus died on the cross, and the world thought it was making a spectacle of Jesus, this king of the Jews. Go ahead, put him up on a cross with the thieves, 
put a placard above his head that says, this is the king of the Jews. And the world thought it was making a spectacle of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus did that voluntarily to make a spectacle of Satan. To say, I have power over you. Go ahead. Try to take my life. Go ahead. He made a spectacle of them. And then it says, triumphing over the cross. He triumphed over the cross. Triumph, triumphing over them by the cross. He triumphed over them. It wasn't just a win. We beat Reed City that day 49 to nothing. Hello? That was a triumph. Well, they weren't very good, but that was a triumph. That starts to put the whole sack thing into perspective, doesn't it? It was a triumph. It was a triumph. Jesus triumphed over these things in the cross. Jesus triumphed over them by the cross. But this shows us, really, that there are two sides of this cross. You see, there are two sides with two dimensions, two distinct dimensions. On the one side here, you have what's called the satisfaction side. That these things that Jesus forgave us, released us, secured us, this is the shed blood of Jesus so as to satisfy the demands of a holy God for our forgiveness. That God isn't just winking at our sin, looking the other way and says, ah, forget it, come on. But Jesus gave us life to make the payment. And in this way, we call this a satisfaction of God that Jesus died as the perfect substitute for our sin. This is the side of the cross that we talk about the most in the church today. But I just want to make sure you understand from this passage and really every passage, there's another side of the cross, and it's the domination side. Look at what Jesus did. He disarmed Satan, he made a spectacle of him, and he triumphed over them. That's domination. He didn't submit to Satan's plan so that he could get us paid for. He paid for us on the satisfaction, and then he dominated over him. Jesus conquered sin and death and defeated Satan, and in giving us the power of the Holy Spirit, we have opportunity to dominate. We have opportunity to play offense. Is this making sense? There are two sides of the cross. And let me give you a get ready to groan, a little historical theology. The left side was the dominant side, was really the only understanding the church had of the cross for the first thousand years. What? For the first thousand years. Anybody who would have been a Christian would have asked him about the cross. They said, yeah, Jesus came and he defeated Satan on the cross. And by defeating Satan, he secured my salvation. And in doing so, he has also given me opportunity to have power over darkness. For the first thousand years. Words were put to this by one of the church fathers named Origen. So it was very original. Wow. In the late 2nd century, early 3rd century, Origen finally put some words to this, that this is the nature of the cross, is to dominate Satan. He called it the ransom theology, the ransom perspective, which is, creates all kinds of problems as to, to whom the ransom was paid and stuff like that. But don't get hung up in those details if you start reading this stuff. Don't get hung up in anything except that Jesus conquered Satan on the cross. If you want to write down a couple of good books to read, I would recommend The Cross of Christ by John Stott or Christus Victor by Gustav Allen, who is a Swedish theologian who wrote that book in 1930 and brought this all back to light for a sleeping church. We'll say, well, when did this satisfaction side come in? 
That didn't come in until the 11th century, the explanation of it. And it came in, he came dragging it in. Wow. He dr- Anselm of Canterbury, now by the Catholic Church, St. Anselm, in the Middle Ages, in the 11th century, he's called the father of Catholic scholasticism. What he did was he developed this, this satisfaction side, which was assumed by the other people, which was assumed by everybody up until then. But he developed this, and he said, no, the, the real predominant nature of the cross is to provide forgiveness for people's sins. It's not about triumphing over the devil. Now, you say, why did he do that then? Ask me. It was the Middle Ages. I want you to think about what had happened to the church, the Catholic church. By the way, the Eastern Orthodox church, the Greek church, the Russian church, they never gave up on the domination side. Today, they still believe that. But the Latin church, the Roman Catholic church, came in and developed this and called him the father of scholasticism and the Saint Anselm because of what it could do for them. I am not a Catholic basher, but I'll tell you what, there was something really wrong going on in the Catholic church right here. And what was going on was that the presence of God, the presence of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit had left the church. And it had become very organizational and man-made and man-run and very religious. And it was empty. And they could not offer people the power of God anymore. They couldn't. The Lord wasn't there. And so what did they do? They came up with a doctrine to explain the absence of God, which is that the cross isn't really about overpowering Satan in your life, but it's about getting saved. And not only the Catholic Church said, is it about getting saved, but it's getting saved through us, so you've got to show up for Mass and take this element, we'll drink this part, and you'll be good. And it created a huge dependence on the Catholic Church. And it perpetuated them as an organization. But I think what I want you to take away from that is that it was an explanation for the absence of God. Much like in the 19th century when the doctrine of dispensationalism came out, eventually resulted in the Schofield Bible, which so many people have been led astray by, that there are dispensations of God, and the reason we don't see the power of God right now is because we're in a dispensation that God isn't moving. That's nonsense. When we don't see God moving, it's not time to think about it, it's time to pray about it. It's time to pray about it. It's not time to use our best minds to say, well, let's come up with an explanation for this. It's a time for us as children to get on our faces before God and say, where have we gone? Lord? Where have we, how, how have we left you? How do we get back? So this is what's happening. There are two sides of the cross. And I think the reason most of you only know about the satisfaction side is because the church at large, at least in America, the church at large has been playing so much defense lately. And they've been teaching you to give a defense of your faith. Study apologetics so you can give a defense of your faith. How about if you just fall in love with Jesus Christ and people start asking you, what's going on in you, man? How about if you start giving evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit through you, and people are drawn to you? You won't have to explain how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Is this making sense? There are two sides of this cross. There's a defense side and there's an offense side. And I'm just saying I think it's time to play some offense, don't you? I'm just tired of it. I'm tired... I'm tired of the defeats. I'm tired of getting pushed back. I'm tired of everything having to be so defensive. 
it's time to take some ground. It's time to take some ground in your life, in your marriage. It's time to take some ground in your body, in your health, in your well-being. It's time to take some ground in your witness to the world and the power of the light of the gospel in you. It's time to take some ground, is it not? Jesus died on the cross to say what? Jesus said, it is finished. What was finished? What was finished? Why are we still groveling in our sin if it was finished? Why are we still getting pushed around by the devil if it's finished? He said, it's finished. There's two sides of this cross. There's the satisfaction side and there's the domination side. And it's not finished until we live on both sides of that cross. This is what Jesus said. It is finished. I think this is more the cry of the church today. Is it really finished? Is it? Is it finished? This is a day to declare your faith. This is a day to say, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I get that. I'm there in the same place. I'm... I'm tired of being pushed around. I'm tired of playing defense. I want to be a part of a church that is moving forward by the power of God, in the witness of God, in the character of God. I want to be a part of a group where God is moving among them and lives are being changed and rescued. Marriages are being rescued and cancers are being turned around and untimely deaths are stopped. In the name of Jesus. You want to be a part of that? Well, I think there's some of you who are stirred by that now. And I'm going to ask you very simply, if you're stirred by that, and you would like to say, I get what you're saying, let's, let's, let's move over to offense, then come on up. Just come on up. And start praying your prayer. I don't need to put words in your mouth. Just start praying the prayer that is making you come. Start praying the thing that's stirring inside of you. Just come on up. You're not going to sign up for anything. This is just you responding to what you consider to be a stirring of the Lord inside of you, saying, "I want to. I want to move to offense." I want to play offense. I want to, I want to be a part that moves God's kingdom forward. And just start praying. Just tell God you're ready. Just start praying. You can even make words. If you want to make words, sometimes that helps. And you could all, God can sort all that out. So just pray. Just pray. I want to, I want, I want to pray that prayer that's in your heart that caused your feet to move. Just tell him. Power of God come. Power of the Lord come. Holy Spirit come, I pray. And just meet your sons and daughters as they respond to you. More. More, Lord. More. Tired. You know, let your fatigue with defeat drive you. Let that, let, just let that be a motivator. Say, I'm done with that. Come on. Just tell the Lord... You're ready to have a sword put in your hand. You know, some of you can dial into that image, right? You're ready. You're ready for your sword. Come on. 
Some of you just, I can see, are just sensing the Holy Spirit. You can feel him. Some of you can't, but there's nothing in the Bible that says you're going to feel the Holy Spirit every time you experience him. So just be here by faith. Come.